Hey guys, Zach here. I want to invite you to join me at Element 451's Engage Summit on June 27th and 28th in Raleigh, North Carolina. When it comes to the student experience, we know that you want to be a trusted guide from recruiting all the way to graduation. Well, the Engage Summit brings the best minds in higher ed together to give you the strategy and tools that you need to create a cohesive student experience from start to finish. Explore the latest technologies, increase your skill set, and gain insight into today's students to deliver the most powerful and personalized digital engagement experience every step of the way. This is not your standard ed tech user conference. This is a dynamic, inspirational, an empowering event for all higher ed marketers and admissions professionals. I'll be presenting at this year's event along with some of your favorite higher ed LinkedIn and Twitter follows. You can learn more about this event and register for it at engage.element451.com. Oh, and you can get $50 off your registration when you use the discount code Enrollify50. That's Enrollify50 at checkout. So go ahead, check it out, RSVP at engage.element451.com. Looking forward to seeing you all there. All right, Joel, we are we are live, good sir. How are you this fine morning? I'm doing great, Zach. How are you? I'm uh, I'm doing okay. I have to admit I'm a, I'm a little jealous because you have this like super badass setup right now and I'm <laughs> I'm like stuck in one of those like telephone booths in a in a co-working space, but uh I really admire your uh your setup, dude. That that light, man, that purple like neonish <laughs> right. light is just epic. It's it's getting there. Uh, stylistically, we're getting there. I've got enough lights. I mean, most of my like recording gear is because I I did studio recording in college, and I just went on a spending spree one, one summer and bought bought a nice like bought a nice recording interface, some nice microphones, and then with podcasting, I've been kind of like building up a few pieces over time. But uh, I appreciate the kind words. I uh, I appreciate quality, so yeah. I try to put quality into this stuff. I love it, man. It's uh it's so important. There's nothing like. And I mean, I should say this is how the first like year and a half of me podcasting went where like you're in an echoey room, you're using sort of your AirPods and your your computer mic. And it's just, you know, we did it or at least I did it. (laughs) It worked for for a time. And now I feel like as podcasting in general has just it seems like everybody has a podcast. I, I feel like the standard of just what's acceptable to listen to has just has just significantly been raised. So appreciate totally. you coming on with a, with a fantastic mic. <laughs> I'd say guests, guests are still learning this, right? Like some of the best right. people that I bring on the show are incredibly smart, incredibly way smarter, way more talented than, than me. But like, yeah, you know, they show up and they've got their little like MacBook mic and uh, they're right. in like a noisy conference room. <laughs> those so. MacBook bikes are getting better, but you can't deal with the room noise yeah. <laughs> as well as, you know, sit in a quiet room, get some headphones. It's just, it's little things you can do that infinitely improve the quality. Yes. So uh, you would think that this is a show about podcasting, but friends, <laughs> that's where, that's where you would be wrong. Joel, I, I'm thrilled to have you on the pod because I've followed you on social media for a while now. I've been somewhat familiar with uh, Bravery's work. I feel like it, it, kind of appears in my feed or I hear or see somebody that I respect Good. and follow That's what <laughs> share <we want>. something <laughs> or, and, but, but I've never, I, I, I don't really know anything about anything about bravery. This is yeah. actually the first time we've actually connected on any sort of uh, chat. And so yeah. I, I'm just excited to learn a little bit more about who you are, how you think, how you see higher ed, the opportunities that you see in, in higher ed marketing and higher ed branding. But I thought we'd, we'd start by, sharing having you really share a little bit about sort of your own kind of creative journey so i you know from stalking your linkedin right you are (laughs) you are a creative through and through you studied media in college you have a master's degree from the new school which is one of the most you know exciting kind of progressive schools in this arena i just want to hear a little bit from you about your own sort of creative journey like where were you born kind of just thinking I like cool, <laughs> nice, pretty things? Like, did you at what point in time did you realize, huh, I I see the world a little bit differently than some others? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's been since I was a kid. I mean, you know, opening up MS Paint on our 
old, old 386 computer and like <laughs> recreating album art and stuff like that to getting to junior high and, um, you know, finding ways to use Photoshop and uh, create my, <laughs> learn how to use Photoshop basically. And in college, I, you know, I always kind of put a lot of, a lot of design work into, into projects I was doing. I mean, that my, my media promotions major in undergrad was kind of like a mix between communication and marketing um, and PR. Mm. And I really wanted to go in the music industry mm. I grew up a musician. I, I don't, I, I interned in the music industry and then realized I don't want to be in that industry for a lot of different reasons. But uh, I've always tried to kind of put that that creative uh, design mind to stuff that I'm doing and, uh, and and try to be well-rounded, I think, mm. is really what it is. I could be just really, really smart about like a certain thing, but I want to make sure that I can effectively communicate that. And design's just a really it's probably the only way to do that really, yeah. <laughs> you know, really well in today's world. And it just kind of propelled me through. And it, it's kind of a problem. Cause like you end up being like a Jack of all trades mm. where you can do everything. Yeah. I, I want to hear the story behind why you decided to channel your, your creativity in, into the higher ed space. Because again, you interned in the music industry. You, every creative that I know has like done like 12 different things and they've worked yeah. on like crazy cool projects where they've been, you know, next to somebody famous. And then they've, you know, been working for like some trade show and, you know, making 50 <laughs> bucks for 12 hours of work, right? Like, and everywhere in between. Yeah. Right. And, and that seems to be sort of the life of at least the creators and, uh, and creatives in, in my network. So, but I'm always curious what, once they do find, find their lane, like what, why did they choose uh, the particular lane that they fell into? So what was it about higher ed that spoke to you as, as a place where you could really, you know, carve out a, a, a nice niche for yourself. Yeah. So I graduated right into that, that first recession. Well, I mean, not first recession, but you know, right into that recession around like 2000. Well, I graduated in 2006 from undergrad. So that recession moving into 2007, 2008, uh, it was really hard to get a job mm. out of college. And I still was kind of looking at music industry or, or I really wanted to go into like festival prom promotion, do live event promotion and things like that after, after my stint in the, in the record industry. And, uh, it just was really difficult to get a job yeah. and, uh, a PR role opened up at my alma mater. And so I took that. So I, I think it's probably a common story. A lot of, a lot of higher ed pros, especially higher ed marketing pros have, probably experience this. It's, it's a little bit accidental. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you take the job that's there. Uh, but, you know, even even beyond that, I think even in undergrad, I was very involved in, you know, various things that dealt with leadership and at, at the institution. You know, I was working with our, our VPs of student affairs and like the president every once in a while and all this sort of stuff. And the big thing that has stuck with me my entire career is how much potential higher ed has but how much of it's untapped or at least unrealized, mm. right? And so I've really focused my career and and chosen to stay in higher ed for, you know, the last 17-ish years uh, to, to kind of harness that potential a little bit more yeah. and, and help more institutions realize what kind of things they could be doing yeah. if they just made these like little tweaks, you know, or, or like focused on this thing that you're ignoring that could be a huge game changer for, you know, for your college or university. I think about how design has moved from sort of like this luxury good in the mind of uh, higher education leadership to, to sort of this like necessity as it pertains to marketing and, and, and student recruitment. And of course, there were always people that believed that things needed to look nice, right? But design is, is so much more than looking nice, right? It, it's right. The, the way that all industries, and I think tech and really the internet has probably just accelerated this this notion, but you know, you, you, you Gen Z and, and every generation after is only going to pay attention to things that look incredibly great, especially if it's worth paying attention to. It better look freaking amazing to capture and, and also keep attention. And so I feel like the intersection between marketing and design over the last decade, I would even argue specifically over the last five years, has... Yeah. Has, has sort of like come to this this real moment where we realize there, there's an interdependency that we have on each other. This is not this is not a separate thing. It's not marketing right. work with the words and then design take over. This needs to be incredibly collaborative, right? Um, right. So, do you do you have any kind of stories or just musings or uh, does that does that notion speak to you at all? 
Yeah, you know, I think I think higher ed has tunnel vision a lot of times, and it, it takes. We all know how slow the industry moves, but it it takes a lot to convince and ironically educate uh, leadership across this this uh, this industry in those importance importances, right? So I think there was a time when uh, design was valued in you're you know having a great logo or something yeah. but then guess what everyone redesigned their logos and they all had a shield and a flame in them. <laughs> i mean if you look if you That's look like at a crest. lot of brands yeah, out there yeah <laughs> right um yeah and well and then and, but there was this like big resistance to crests for a while and you know and, like let's get away from our our institutional seal yeah. and create this thing and you know so then all the marks become very similar and so you know that that kind of muddles the water of what brand you have or what identity you have from a visual standpoint. Yeah. Like, well, let's try it with colors. And it's like on the color traditions, like, you know, you have like two or three main colors and then the way those are applied to, to web and other marketing is interesting and not all together. Well done. Yeah. Uh, but then there is a huge focus on, on paid advertising and uh, you know, paid media was, and and in a lot of cases, is still considered like the silver bullet for an institution. Yeah. But it ignores the fact that what someone sees on another property, you know, on a Facebook or on a Google or on a, uh, you know, on Instagram or on LinkedIn or whatever, has to relate to the visual design that you're using on your institutional website. Otherwise, you're you're creating this like weird disconnect mm. and uh and confusion in someone's mind yeah and so i th i hope that we're finally getting to a point where like the the quality of design that goes into university and college websites is is going to kind of like make a huge jump yeah. um I, I think over the years we've we've had little points where some agencies have have worked with institutions to do really really nice looking design um, but the UX may not have been there, mm, you know, the actual yeah. functional part of it. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's really the crux of it is we care about something looking pretty and, you know, like you were saying, but at what point do we realize that it actually has to do something for us as yeah. well as look pretty? Yeah. And, and the amount of thought that goes into that is it's a lot and you may not have the expertise on staff to do that. Or if you do, you're probably ignoring that person. Right. Yeah. So how do you bring, how do you bring to bear the the expertise in how to do good user experience design, that kind of more functional, uh, you know, the journey, the focusing on the journeys to get someone to take an action, what those actions are, what the outcome goals are supposed to be, yeah. as well as make it something that's really beautiful and pleasing and comforting. That's that's kind of the that's kind of the balance that that higher ed still is working to strike really well. Yeah, and there are more institutions every day that are that are doing that well. But there are still, you know, I mean, in the U.S. alone, we've got we've got over four thousand institutions, and it's a minority of them that are doing really really good design. Yeah, and and I don't think that's for lack of not wanting to do it. I think it's for lack of not having leadership that understands the importance and the value and actually turning the tide of your enrollment goals, of your fundraising goals, of you know, all that stuff. Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Corinne Myers, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcasts.enrollify.org. Those are incredible points, and, and I, I do think where we're going to have to see sort of a, a, a reallocation of resources in, in order to maintain any sort of competitive uh, ability, not even a competitive advantage, but a competitive ability. I was talking to my my sister, it just graduated from high school, she's 18. 
I was sitting down with her. We were talking about something and she, I, I don't even remember what it was, but it was basically like, Hey, like, uh, let, let me show you this. Let me show you how to do something. Right. And I went to Google. Right. And I started Googling like, <laughs> Hey, this is like, you know, uh, what, what, like how to tie your shoe or whatever. It wasn't that right. it was something <laughs> dumb like that. Right. And the first thing that she did was she opened up TikTok and she went to TikTok search. Right. And, and what was, what was so interesting was it was like, she didn't even think twice about it. I didn't think twice about it. It was just our methods of finding an answer to, right. to, to a question were just fundamentally like, like we literally chose different channels. And I was thinking about this and, and talking with her a little bit more about it. I think this was, I think like a couple of weeks after there was that article that was trending that like, like 80% of Gen Z uses uh, TikTok for search or something like that. Or right. TikTok was on a roadmap to overtake Google in terms of search activity from, from Gen Z. What I took away from that was my, me and, and folks older than me, we were willing to right. be patient to land on, land on a website, right? Land on, land on open a communication. I even think about Facebook, right? Facebook is pretty ugly actually, right? If you think about, <laughs> if you think about the design of Facebook, right? MySpace was way more interesting and way more, way more dynamic, right? Than, than Facebook was. Facebook was super simple. If you look at it today, it's, it's a pretty ugly site, right? As it compares to even, even just Instagram, right? It's, it's right. sister property, but, but right. I, and, and I would assume you, we were willing to give that our attention. We were willing to consume information in a format that might have not been the most visually stimulating. That, for my sister and, and her peers, is just, they're just not patient enough, right? So they right. still want to learn and they're willing, right? They're willing to like give something their attention. It just has to be multi-sensory, right? Versus it was okay to at least read the first couple sentences and decide I'm going to keep reading or not. They won't even read the first couple of sentences, right? right? Regardless of how it looks. And so that's a very, very long and cumbersome way of saying that I think if these colleges and universities are interested, right, which many of them are in not even increasing enrollment, but just retaining kind of in enrollment rates, the yeah. allocation of resources as it pertains to communications and marketing and design have to be totally shifted. And it's just, it's, I don't understand, quite frankly, why we haven't felt enough pain in the industry to, to make those shifts. So why do you think this is? Like, is it just, is it really just because leadership is still so out of touch? Like, surely people are feeling the pain, right? It's, to your point, it's a, it is a funds allocation uh, and prioritization of 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 you know of 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 goals i guess or 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 it's or maybe a misprioritization of it right and and i think the it's it's interesting because you you have these institutions that are so focused on you know fill the enrollment funnel fill the enrollment funnel let, let's just get as many people in the door as we possibly can um and it doesn't matter if they're qualified leads. It doesn't matter if they're actually interested in your institution. Just like get them in the funnel and then we'll weed them out at some point. It creates a lot of extra work for, for your admissions team for sure. And coming into these seasons, I mean, like, like as we record this, like we're, we're actually probably in a recession or like very, very close to in a recession, despite yep. no one really wanting to talk about it. Yeah. But we're seeing it across the industry. We're seeing the same sorts of layoffs and firings and we're seeing the industry flatten a little bit more, but not, you know, as far as services and hiring out goes, it's actually been a little bit more constrained than than a lot of, especially us on the you know the the vendor side of things would expect for uh, for a recession because a lot of us worked through the last recession yeah. and it was okay. There's just this confusion, or it might just be a lack of chill. Honestly, mm. I feel like mm. you're faced with a big challenge, and leadership and institutions there's so much pressure to like fix these things, yeah. you know, all the way from directors uh, to VPs to, you know, to presidents that if, if they're super hands-on presidents, like there's just this lack of being able to stop, be calm for, you know, a, a couple minutes and look at what actually needs to be done and where the deficiencies are. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, we're not looking at optimizing what we have already. And so you might have a, you might have something that's good enough, yeah. but you know, by putting, you know, putting $15,000 into like, like kind of evolving your design language a little bit more uh, and fixing some things on the website or, or fixing some of the journeys that you have, you can, you can offset like a ton of that fear, you know, that's, that's kind of entered into the equation just by kind of fixing these, these journeys or at least auditing and, and making sure that you have the data to make smart decisions. 
and it's it's really difficult. And then you you actually said something earlier about that that I think is is a really it it's a hidden it's a hidden point that that doesn't get talked about a lot. But this idea of retention in in higher education, mm. like we focus on this external marketing, good design, like make sure the website's good, make sure the ads are good, make sure our video production for for ads are really good, make sure we've got a great campus tour, you know, whatever those things are. But then we forget about the student experience when they Mm. get there. Mm. And we have these internal systems that are enterprise grade and are really ugly and really difficult to use and don't talk to each other. And so when I think about it deeply, I think it's it's one of those things that corporate America has latched onto in the last 20 years of having this sense of design thinking throughout the organization. Yeah. Because if your staff are happy, then you're going to retain them, right? So if, you're, if your students as an institution are happy, you're going to retain your students better. And a lot of times it really just comes down to like the day-to-day administrative stuff that they have to do to interface with your institution is ugly and hard and doesn't get any any visual or, or, you know, the whole like surprise and delight stuff that comes up in, in, in design circles, which I think is really cheesy, but, but it's true. They're not getting any of that. All they're getting is friction and pain (laughs) and frustration when they're trying to register for classes or trying to, you know, return a book to the library or, you know, whatever else. Because we don't put the, we don't put the time and thinking into the student experience the same way that we do into the prospective student experience. Yeah. So it's, it's similar to that transition from, uh, you know, from a, a paid ad that someone clicks on to a website that doesn't quite fit that brand. Yeah. Same thing. If you're going from a prospective student that uh, that is accepted and you go through this whole onboarding period to, you know, to to become a student and do new student orientation and then you get to campus and everything is just real crappy. There's that's a that's a problem. Yeah. Like that's that's really bad for your retention rates. But I think the focus doesn't look at at those sort of, you know, what some people call like soft products sort of things. Yeah. Um, it looks a lot more at, well, what software can we put in place to fix this? Yeah. Or maybe if we just caught these students earlier when they're struggling in classes, it's like, sure. And those are also val- very valid points, but the experience is also real is one of those things that affects whether someone's doing well in class, whether yeah. someone's adjusting to the community, whether someone's finding a way to fit in. And we just don't look at it. We don't we don't yeah. focus on it. I wonder too if if that the reason why this is the way that it is is because for years, right? Once once somebody signed up, they deposited, they paid tuition, right? There was a lot of shame maybe and also mm. just a lot of friction in leaving. Like once you're in, right? It's like, "Oh god, do I really want to go through do I really want to like leave do i are my credits going to transfer are like all you know what's it going to be like to go home and all my friends and family are going to be like wow you failed or whatever or like you know or or the idea of transferring seems so cumbersome and yet i would argue that we're living through a moment where i see parents people in my own family actually praising their college students for deciding you know what I tried this for a couple semesters and it's not for me or like, you know what, I'm going to go, right. I'm going to take a year off and then I'm going to go back or, you know what, I'm actually going to start at community college. I got into these great schools, but it's so expensive. I'm not entirely sure what I want to do yet. Let me just start at community college, save a ton of money and then see where I end up. Right. And yeah, it's the same sister I was talking to like half of her class. Right. And she goes to a really, really great school. She, she was saying that half of her class is either taking some sort of year off, right? And or, and I should say, she comes from a really small, like it's a very, it's a good school. It's a very small, like yeah. 25 person, like graduating class, right? So very, very small. I, I, I graduated school. from, I graduated from one of those. Okay, so. okay. Um, and so yeah, just so our listeners are like 50%, right? So it's like 12, 12 people, right? Roughly yeah. are either, are, are, are going to take a, some time off, either doing a gap year and or are going to start at community college first, simply for like reasons that they don't know what they want to do. They've seen their older siblings sure get into incredible debt right um and you know for all the things that everyone in the media always talks about with respect to higher ed anyways all that is to say right is maybe we're living through a time and a season where retention actually is incredibly important to focus on because students don't have the same levels of shame and or the same you know patience uh to just kind of grin and bear it as as they did um, and, and maybe that's something that we're encountering in this, in this moment as well. Yeah. I mean, to your point, we look across the industry at these, you know, tuition driven, small private 
colleges yeah. that have been closing at a rate that's faster than anything I've seen, you know, in the last almost 20 years of being in the industry. And a lot of that is because they they are tuition dependent, right? Yeah. It's 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 all based on how many people they can get in. But you can you can kind of flip that script by making sure that you retain those people by providing that really great experience. And you know, we're not talking necessarily, I mean, I think this is some of this is actually really good, but we're not talking necessarily about all the stuff that that professors and faculty have complained about for years around like, whoa, it's too easy for students and we're, we're giving them too much leeway and you know, all that kind of stuff. We're just talking about fixing the, the day-to-day cultural, like, you know, administrata that everyone has to deal with, (laughs) like the, like get rid of the friction of just being a student so that they can focus more on the learning and focus more on the community and all those really formative things that come with going to college yeah. um, if they're on campus and especially if you're online. So here's a story. I, we talked at the, at the top of the show about I, I got my master's degree from the new school. So I, I was living in Chicago working at an institution there and was getting my degree online. Okay. And new school, I think, was doing online online degrees in the 90s. I mean, they're one of the just oldest wow. for, you know, they've been doing a long, long time. And I, I loved my program. I made some really good friends. The whole reason I was able, you know, to move to Austin was because I had met a friend in grad school and we bonded over how terrible the experience was. And she got me a contract gig in Austin and helped us find an apartment and all that kind of stuff. And is still, still a really good friend today. And we met online. Um, but you don't want your students bonding over how bad the experience is, right? That that's the thing you don't want. And and that was our problem. It was it wasn't just that, you know, we were using Blackboard back in black back when Blackboard was really, really terrible. Um, it wasn't just that, um, you know, the 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 like student portal stuff was really awful. It was that in a media studies program, they would have these great colloquia. They had people come and speak on campus and they wouldn't even live stream it. <laughs> And you were lucky if you got a recording after the fact. I'm like, I'm paying a lot of money for this degree. And like, and it's a media, it's a media studies program. Like it's (laughs) like, you should be, you should have this stuff in place. Or when it came time to graduate, this was the worst because, you know, it's, you know, you're just kind of like making a list of all the things that have been really bad during your time (laughs) at school. It's awful. Uh, But you know, it came time for graduation and my wife and I decided we were going to go to New York City and, you know, make a little vacation of it. And I was going to walk and, and do all this stuff and actually like maybe meet a few people I've been talking with online for the last two years. And they wanted us to pick up our cap and gown two weeks before. I'm like, I'm not flying to New York City to pick up a cap and gown. Yeah. Yeah. And then flying back <laughs> to Chicago and then flying back to New York City. Like, that's that's ridiculous. And they couldn't like for for a school at the time that had done online and and distance education for so long they they hadn't thought through this process yeah, like what yeah. about this new generation of online students that you know want to participate and feel connected to the institution don't put roadblocks in yeah, their way like yeah. and and i think that's it's it's this struggle this is i mean this is something i've i've had conversations about for 10 years but it's this struggle between the the lingering thought that online is a different place and mm. a totally different sort of thing and like there are differences in how you communicate and that sort of thing but you want to have a cohesive community across all of your alumni across all of your students right you want them to have experiences that at least resonate very true to the core values of your brand yeah. not be like online students are sitting over here and you get nothing because yeah. we don't see you every day like <laughs> That, when you're doing it online, it's 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 kind of for convenience. It's well, it's a lot for convenience because like I wasn't able to quit work and live in New York City for two years for grad school. They're not looking to like make their lives harder. And yeah. the same way that, you know, your your students that are on campus also don't want their lives to be harder when they're trying to learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a really keen insight. And I think something that it, it's just a good reminder for everybody. Right. That is, and, and I mean, like, especially at the graduate level, online programs are, you know, everyone's talking about them. Everyone's yeah. spinning them up. They all, many of them look the same. Everyone's looking for a competitive advantage, like some differentiator, right? And maybe your differentiator really could be community and how you, how you obsess, right? Like literally obsess over 
how to make everyone feel like they're a part of something, even if there are, you know, in, right. in 50 different locations, zooming into to, to a class, right? Um, I want that stuff to become table stakes. Yeah. And, and, it, and, and it should be like the, the, the experience side of it should be table stakes so that you can focus on the curriculum again, yeah. you know, yeah. you can focus on how, how much quality you have in the education. But if, if the student experience side is awful, it doesn't really matter how much quality you have in your programming, uh, in the teaching and the, the, the faculty that you have teaching it. It doesn't really matter if they can't get past how terrible the actual experience of it is. Yeah, yeah. Quick, quick uh, anecdote here. And then I, I want to talk to you about hospitable design, which is this framework that you've been like crafting with, with yeah. the team at Bravery. And I, uh, I definitely want to dive into that. But real quick, uh, last story here. I was talking, I have another podcast in the short-term rental kind of like Airbnb space. And I was talking to somebody who is well-versed in software that supports uh, short-term rental hosts that have tons of Airbnbs, right? Like 10 yeah. to 300 Airbnbs. And they're well-connected with with the software engineers at, at Airbnb. Anyways, one of the things this, this gentleman was telling me literally just yesterday, he was saying that Airbnb spends tens of millions of dollars a year, okay? Tens of million dollars a year just focused on after a guest books, right? So after you click pay, right? Until you check out everything that happens in that period of time. Again, Airbnb is not your host, right? This isn't like people spending a bunch of money making right. sure that there's enough toilet paper and like good linens, right? But but the communication, the app experience, when you pull up your app at right the location that you're staying at, all, all those little touch points, right? Making sure you get in okay. They spend tens of millions of dollars per year just focused on that one micro step, right? Right. Why do they do that? Well, because they know, right? Getting people to buy, right, is just the first hurdle. Getting right. them to ensure that they've experienced the great product, right? Which, again, Airbnb has not a ton of control over the actual product that you receive, right? Because that's that's on the host to make sure that you've got a nice place to stay. They, they have limited control there. But they want to make sure that your digital experience, right, while you're while you're staying, is as optimal as humanly possible because right. they want you to come by again, right? Yep. And so, anyways, all that is to say is that if I think sometimes and people are like, oh, well, you know, we don't have the budgets of Airbnb, sure. But if a major, if a major major tech company who is you know synonymous for the category of they are the Kleenex right of of the short term rental uh, category, right? If they are still spending gobs and gobs and gobs of money on that one little step yeah. right what 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 should that say to us about how right. we think about retention well zach people at these institutions still think that they can get an institutional website redesign that that's going to perform for them done for you know fifty thousand dollars or less yeah yeah, yeah. and <laughs> and it's that performance part that is that's that's the key there is that you going back to the first conversation we had today, like this idea that design just needs to look pretty and communicate it's yes, like that's, that's it. But if you want to get down to like the, the really dry, cold business realities of it, yeah. like that website needs to perform. It needs to convert people into applicants or into inquiries yep. and great design can do that. But it does take a lot of money. And and the thing here is that, you know, them saying, well, we don't have the budgets for this. <laughs> the old adage, you have to spend money to make money. Yeah, if yeah, you yeah. want to increase the enrollment to cover the cost that you're paying, you have to pay a little bit more there. And I mean, we've seen it time and time again with our clients. We, you know, we did a project uh, with with Seth O'Dell, who I know, you know, um, when, you know, before we started Canahoma and they spent not a lot of money with with bravery and we generated 10 million dollars in their yeah. first year of having our designs live because wow. because we spent the time researching we spent the time focusing on the user we spent the time doing really good crafted design meant to convert yeah. and you don't hear those numbers in higher ed and yeah. so like I, I i i've had this conversation with a few people and uh so our work paid for itself in eight days. Like that's that's wow. the way that I kind of like to say it. it's. And you don't you don't see that a lot. And in house, you're unless you're you're either going to pay a lot of money for people with really great expertise in house, pay for mm -hmm. their salaries at market rate. You're gonna you're gonna need to go market rate, or you're yep. not going to get people that are 
going to Airbnb or yeah. going to, you know, that can do this research and do this design work. And you're going to need multiples of them and not just one person that does everything, which is the current state of higher ed in a lot of places. Uh, it's either going to cost you a lot of money to have that team in house, or it's going to cost you maybe, maybe a bit less, but it's still going to cost you a, a significant amount of money to yeah. go out to a vendor. And either way you need to spend that money in order to increase that enrollment. I think it's the same thing on the retention on the retention side. Yeah. You look at how many at how much attrition you have on campus, and you say like, "Well, cool. If I can take you know ten of the twenty students that we're losing every year, what does that do for our bottom line?" And then think about what spend you need to do to get that back. Yeah, um, it, it's incremental, and I mean, it's, it's kind of it's it's fairly basic business stuff, but like, it doesn't get thought about a lot in in that way. Yeah. You know, a, a thought that just occurred to me as you were sharing that, uh, and yeah, Seth, Seth and and their his team are are incredible. But like, I'm thinking like, you know how it, it, advancement, right? You go and, and and you know, people people go, they build they build a new building, they find right. some major donor to come and slap their name on on that building, right? And it's McCarthy Hall for the next you know 50 years or whatever it is, right? Like, why can't advancement go and say, hey, you want to build? the best digital building like the digital right. storefront of this university for a fraction of what what these donations are or uh, for for these tangible physical buildings yeah. right like you you'd think that there'd be some and i'm sure that people have tried this but like you think that there'd be some way to incentivize donors of like hey help us yeah. help fund the best website in higher ed work closely with Marcom teams, work closely with vendors like Bravery to like help make that happen. And like, imagine Joel, if like you and your team are given, you know, 10 times the resources that you normally have to play with, right? Oh, yeah. Like you could do, you, you guys have the talent, right? And it, oh, it's yeah. really just, it's really just about like making sure that there's enough time, you, there's enough time being covered where you can dedicate like all the time that you want to tweak this right. CTA or, or, or really, really think critically about the NAV or whatever it is. And that's right? exactly it. You know, AB testing isn't funded, like doing optimization on the yeah. website you have isn't funded. And to your point, I mean, I've, I haven't really thought about that on the advancement side. I spent a little bit of time in advancement. And I think that's, that's really smart. You could even say like, yeah, do you really want to spend $40 million uh, with us as a donation? Cool. You can fund the website for the yeah. next 10 years <laughs> and we will do ridiculously great stuff with it. Yeah. And, and it honestly could, it could change the tide for some institutions yeah. because you're not having to worry about the funnel side of it as much as you were before. And you can shift your internal focus to really doing that student experience right yeah. and fixing that side of it. Um, but the maybe, money gets allocated to the front yeah. end, right? <laughs> and maybe and maybe it's like maybe we're actually at a, t a point in time where there are enough potential donors, right, in your in your ecosystem, in your alumni ecosystem that understand the internet, the, that understand yeah. right the value of of the digital storefront that maybe now is actually the time where it's there's people there are some segment of people that have made a little bit of money or enough money to potentially, you know, have this have this come to fruition in your context. But I think this, this is like a super tangible idea. But if yeah. I was listening to this, I'd go to my advancement team, see if, hey, add the bullet to the list on the advancement website. Say, like, <laughs> major gifts, how about the website? Exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, but like, hey, I like, hey, if I had gobs of money and I really loved my institution, I'd, I think that that would be way cooler than just no, saying- I, I would building. totally do it. Um, I'd yeah. totally do that. This has been su a super fun conversation. I do want to talk about this this framework that you yeah. are are noodling on, right, around hospitable design. I'm sure some of the things that we've been touching on uh, relate to it, but you want to just unpack this framework for us? Yeah. So uh, a couple years ago, I think this is probably like just coming out of the, the COVID pandemic. I had written uh, a blog post on my personal site about... Uh, about the student experience, actually, the, about how we how we develop this affinity with with our our students and our prospective students as institutions, and one of the things that that came out of it as I was as I was kind of thinking through this blog post was the fact that higher ed institutions are actually kind of hospitality industry on top of education because mm. we essentially run restaurants. They may not be great. Uh, we uh, we run. Uh, 
you know, like a hotel sort of. I mean, we're basically like resorts without a lot of the fun stuff. And and there's a lot that goes into doing that well, right? You yeah. don't want like, you know, the the we lost small institutions that we that we either work with or or have worked with in the past. A lot of the negative uh comments about student experiences is how awful the dorms are because yeah. they're run down and aren't, you know, that sort of thing. So this idea of hospitable design is is really it's not focused just on higher ed but i think it does apply really well to higher ed it's the idea that as we're designing things we need to not just think about the surprise and delight aspect but we need to think about the care uh of the people that are coming onto our websites or interacting mm-hmm. with our print media or interacting with even our ads that are going out there and it gets into issues of accessibility um both from the standpoint of of people that use assistive devices but also like rural students that have only you know only able or or actually some urban students that that only have access to the internet via their phone and could yeah. be on a 3G network or yeah. could be could be a really old DSL connection at 1 yeah. megabit per second you know so making sure your websites are fast enough for them to have a great experience um but this idea that hospitality, when you walk into a bar or, or or a coffee shop or a restaurant that you really like, you look at how uh, why you really like it. It's because the staff there, in most cases, they don't they don't discriminate against people that are coming in. Like yeah. they 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 look at that person and right off the bat they're saying, "I'm here to give you a good experience and a good time and make sure you have everything that you need and are." and feel cared for in this time that you're spending in our place. Yeah. It's not to say they don't kick people out for being rowdy or like, you know, stand up for themselves when people <laughs> are, are being jerks. But this idea that, that everyone is, is given, uh, everyone's given the benefit of the doubt at, at that first kind of look. Hmm. I don't think we do that necessarily super well in design that we do globally. And I think higher ed has taken a lot of really good steps towards that, but there are, this is something that applies to visual design. It's something that applies to how you design your student experience, how you design all these different touch points that people interact with. Yeah. How do you make sure that someone feels cared for in every single instance? Because the more you feel cared for, um, the more you're going to connect with that brand or, or that experience. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I think about, you know, coming out of the pandemic, I, I'm sure a lot of people had similar experiences, but like the thing that I miss the most during you know, being locked down in my house for, for however long that was, what is time? Uh, (laughs) the thing I missed the most was being able to, you know, go to, go to the brewery and sit at, sit at the bar and eat some tacos and have a couple beers and talk with the staff. And you just like feel that, that kind of connection in the larger community that we have, but also feel that connection with people who I developed a relationship with over, over years, you know, supporting, supporting their, their Wi-Fi network for some reason, like, you know, doing all kinds of stuff for them uh, or, or going to our favorite restaurants and, you know, being able to see the staff that, that are there, you know, behind the counter who we've, we've really developed relationships with. Yeah. Those are the things that hit me the hardest in the pandemic and coming out were the things that brought me the most joy is being able to go back out in the, into the world and connect with those people again. And it's not because I just really liked the food or, you know, the quality of the, the quality of the interior design was really good. It was a whole package of the people that care yeah. and what that care meant to how things were designed and how food was made and how food was plated or how beer was brewed or how their messaging impacted stuff. So like the framework in general is it, it's a lens for us to look at the work that we do as marketers, but I think even just intentionally as a, as a human yeah. uh, to be hospitable in whatever area of influence and control that I have towards other people so that they do feel cared for um, because it makes our relationships better. I think. For yeah. one. Uh, but on a marketing standpoint, it makes our marketing that much more potent, right? It mm. really generates this connection with other people and uh yeah so we've been i've been kind of thinking through it i'm um i'm trying to work on a book but sporadically but <laughs> dude i love it but i love it um it's it's a uh, it's something that we've tried at bravery to kind of in infuse into all of the work that we do into how we approach higher ed and how we approach working with clients it's how can how can we make sure that we are leading with care mm. uh and then you know making sure that we can still have hard, hard, hard conversations and make hard decisions at the, at the same time. But it softens the blow a little bit when they know, you know, when everyone knows that you're looking out for them for like, for what, 
is best for best for the customer, best for the client, best for best for the best for your friend, you know, best best for your partner, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Dude, I I just want to commend you because I love that framework and you absolutely should write that book. And I think that that's, I think that you've just, there are all these like light bulbs going off in my head right now, because one of the things, right. That I think we've been addicted to over the last few years in higher ed is, is really talking about like the core product of higher ed being this promise of a job, right. Meaning like that's what, that's what everyone wants. That, that, that is the big dissatisfaction that like the majority of people who are critical of higher ed have is I went, I spent all this money, I graduated, and I can't get a job that will pay me what I need to pay off in a meaningful way all the debt that I just took out, right? Or whatever right. it is. That, that is the core. If you could distill it, that's that's the challenge for most people, right? And that's that's a very fair challenge, um, and, and we need to fix that. The other really core product that higher ed is selling is this experience, right? Like, yeah. we're... we're Hired is selling this promise that hey, if you come here, right, which is why you you want to you want to stay in our dorms, right, which is why many many colleges and universities require freshmen at least to live on campus that first year, right? Why? Because they want people to build these networks, they want people to build community, they want people to you know separate figure out what life looks like outside of mom and dad's house, right? There are right. all these reasons for it, right? right? It's this ceremonious like becoming an adult, right? Even though that's arguable, but like rite of passage, it is a weird rite of passage. (laughs) And yet at the same time, right? um, If you obsess, if you're an institution that obsesses over that experience in the same way that, you know, for when you go to a four seasons hotel, right? It's just unbelievably, unbelievably incredible. Right. And you just, you don't even care that the cocktail costs $27. Right. And you know, it's only (laughs) worth six. It's like, you could get this for, but, but, Right. Because of because of the glass it's served in, because of where you are when you're drinking it, because right. of because of the ambiance around you. Right. Because of the service. Right. Right. In your in a weird way, like you, you justify it. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. And anyways, all that is to say is that like in higher ed, yes, we need to fix the core problem, which is we need people to be more job ready. We need to, to figure out ways to help people get degrees that are meaningful for less money. We also need to obsess over delivering this exceptional experience. And I would even argue, right, that the experience, if you deliver an exceptional experience, right, I bet people might be a little bit more forgiving Yeah. on the outside of how long it takes them to find a job that they consider or they deem to be, like, worthy enough to help them pay off whatever loans they took out because the experience was worth it. I think the biggest challenge is for many institutions – the experience is lackluster and yeah. I couldn't get a job, right? Well, m- maybe part of that hospitable approach to the experience is doubling down on connecting students with those jobs as well. It's it's putting money yeah. and resources into developing those connections with companies and corporations and making your degrees actually valuable again from, you know, from this external world perspective, this business perspective, right? Yeah. Uh, when you can when you can guide people towards an outcome because you've developed those relationships and haven't just spent time, you know, to be, to be somewhat rude navel gazing at your, your, your programming and trying to figure out what's wrong with it. Well, find those jobs for people like put, put extra effort into your career services divisions. Like that's, that's a part of caring for your students, a part of life cycle management, because honestly, if those students can't get jobs, they can't become donors. They're yeah. never going to afford it. And so you're cutting off your fundraising efforts later on. It's yeah. 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 <laughs> it's funny. And that, that's actually why I'm so bullish on like adjunct faculty. I know that like that's people have a love hate relationship with adjunct, but like I, I had more. the best, <laughs> would you say? <laughs> Hope they get paid more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, that too. Exactly. I had the best class, the last class I ever had in college was an airlines economics class. And it was taught oh, by a former CEO of uh, Spirit Airlines, actually. Mm-hmm. He was one of those folks that like, I don't even know what the syllabus was. Like, I don't really know. There was like no textbook. Like there was, we would read, like he'd print articles for us to read. And then he, he was just such a wealth of knowledge himself that I learned more. Yeah. In that class, and I think I learned in any other class. I, if if I ever, I went to George Mason University, uh, right outside of DC. Yep. If I ever, I have not yet, but if I ever give a gift to George Mason University, it will be because of that adjunct professor. Yeah. No one else. It'll be. It'll literally be because I learned 
and I was fascinated and how he taught and it, like he he we had tests and stuff but it was just like it was it felt like you had a front row seat to the industry yeah and I, you know I'm not a pilot I have no plans to be a pilot I don't think I'll ever work for an airline company I do love to travel but like all that is to say is it wasn't even that I was I cared that much about the industry, but he made me care. Yeah. Right. He he was so compelling, um, and and that course alone, right? Should I ever give a gift? Is will will be the reason why I why I give a gift. Um. So, anyways, um, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it you know it was, but anyway, this was quite the wide ranging conversation, Joel. Uh, this has been a, a lot of fun. I. This was actually way more fun than I was expecting it to be. Not that I didn't expect oh, it good. to be fun. But, um, <laughs> I aim to I aim to please, Zach. <laughs> I aim to please. Uh, but Joel, I, I do want to just give you a quick opportunity here. For folks that are listening to this conversation, they've been inspired by it and or they are, you know, they we, we've spoken to this part of their soul that has been there for a while and they're, they they just want to figure out what to do next. If, if they do want to talk to you and, yeah. and the team at Bravery, like what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, uh, I'm on LinkedIn uh, you're probably connected to someone that, know, that knows me, but Joel Goodman on LinkedIn and uh, you can visit bravery.co. We also have a, a little short form 10 minute podcast that we do. That's kind of like insider speak from a vendor perspective. So you can kind of hear more candid thoughts on how we're thinking about big problems within higher ed. That's called Appendix B, but it's it's also uh, linked there on our site. But we got forms uh, on the site. We got emails. Uh, LinkedIn's probably the best place to find me, though. Wonderful. And if you are listening to this and you want to connect with Joel and or learn more about Bravery, I'll go ahead and link websites and LinkedIn profiles and links to podcasts and all that fun stuff in the show notes below. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And Joel, thank you so much for your time, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Hey, y'all, Zach here from Enrollify. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Enrollify podcast. If you like this episode, do us a huge favor and hit that follow and subscribe button below. Furthermore, if you've got just two minutes to spare, we would greatly appreciate you leaving a rating and a review of this show on Apple Podcasts. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. But Enrollify is far more than just a podcast network. Enrollify is where higher ed comes to learn new marketing skills, discover new products and services, and find their next job. We're a growing learning community of 4,000 members, and we'd love to welcome you into the fold. You can access our free blog articles, newsletters, e-courses, and more, or purchase our master course on how to market a university with Terry Flannery at enrollify.org. We look forward to meeting you soon and welcoming you into the community. Again, you can subscribe for free at enrollify.org.